As we continue this morning in our summer sermon series in the Psalms, I invite you to turn to the 23rd Psalm. In the Pew Bible, you'll find it on page 458. Psalm 23. And as we turn there, you may have not heard if you came in a little later, if you're just visiting with us this morning, we're going to be having, it's not so much like a church picnic. A lot of people in our area have this big view of the church picnic being this huge ordeal and it's this, this whole you know, program. We're having a meal after second service and, and I'm pretty confident it's going to be a very tasty meal. We will have pulled pork and I think burgers. And even if this is the first you're hearing of it, you've got nothing, you've got no money, you've got no food uh, to, to, to contribute. That is totally fine. We would love to have you join us after second service. Uh, last month we did this and it was a wonderful time of fellowship. Lots of, uh, lots of people stayed for hours almost, I think it was multiple hours, hanging out, checking out the pond with their kids and playing in the back and, and soccer games were going on, lots of good conversations. So we, we'd love for you to experience that, to, to get to know some people in the church more, to reconnect with somebody maybe that's in first service that you don't spend a lot of time with. And so please stay and join us for the meal after second service. Psalm 23 is one of the most familiar and beloved of the Psalms by Christians and non-Christians because of the, the beautiful imagery that it contains and the comfort that it can provide. For this reason, it is often turned to by those facing trials. It's shared with those who are grieving and it's read at funeral services. But the real blessing of Psalm 23 and the very reason that it can provide comfort to God's people is because of the unique insight that it gives us on the nature of the relationship that God has with his people. We Christians sometimes say that we have a personal relationship with God. And, and it's true. By grace, through faith, we are in fellowship with God. But what does it really mean to have a personal relationship with God? What does this look like? More importantly, what kind of relationship does God say that he has with us? Here in Psalm 23, we find a biblical answer to these questions. So let's now read God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word to his people. May we hear it, believe it, and obey it. And now let's pray for his help with these things. O oh, great God of heaven and earth, we have come to praise you, our God. We have sung these songs, we have prayed, we have been called to worship because you are God. You are awesome, you are glorious, you are amazing, you are mighty. The, the adjectives and the words that, that we have in the English language cannot all together, combined and put together in different ways, capture your greatness and your beauty and your glory. And yet we want to try this morning together to remind each other of the greatness 
of our God, to worship you in spirit and in truth, to delight in the gospel, to treasure Christ above all. And yet the reality is, as we reflect on the last week, we have sinned. We have sinned in word. We have sinned in deed. We have sinned in thought. And again, we're reminded that though we are great sinners, our Savior, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is a greater Savior. And so we confess our sins, and we confess that Christ has paid for our sins at the cross, and we rest our hearts in that truth of the gospel, that Christ, through his death and resurrection, has paid for our sins, and we are forgiven. Praise be to you, our God and Savior. Father, we give you thanks for the ways that you are working in our lives, in our families, in this church, in this community, throughout the world for your glory. Father, we can often easily see your blessings, the good ones, the ones that we especially appreciate and praise you. And yet, there's so many wonderful ways that through your providence, you're working in our lives, whether it's removing idols, revealing the the weakness of the things that we are trusting in when we're not trusting in Christ, the the great blessing of being your your children and being corrected and and shaped and warned by your word. Oh, there's so many ways that, that you provide and care for us, and we give you thanks for all of them. Lord, we also want to lift up our brothers and sisters who have come into this sanctuary with heavy hearts. I know of many among us who are especially heavy-hearted over loss. They're grieving because a family member has has recently died unexpectedly. They're, they're struggling with the news that, that they may have cancer. They're, they're concerned about the salvation of a family member. Oh, Father, we lift up these brothers and sisters to you, and we pray that, that through the preaching of your word, through the, the worship that, that they give to you and, and experience with your people this morning, that you refresh, that you restore, that you renew, that, that you strengthen the weak hearted, those who have little faith, you increase their faith, that you bless us with a a greater awareness of our need for you this morning and, and your willingness to supply our need in Christ. And Father, we pray that you would overcome the deficiencies in my preaching and you would supply each and every heart with exactly what they need. They need reminders of your goodness, of your mercy, of your promises, of who you are and who they are. They need to be pointed to Christ. And I pray that you would do that by the preaching of your word, through the power of your spirit, for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. The opening words of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, tell us of the type of relationship that God has with his people. It is like that of a shepherd with his sheep. Now there are precious truths within this metaphor for us, church. David, the author of this psalm, certainly knew these truths well, having lived as a shepherd before the Lord called him to be Israel's king. David knew from his own life experience what shepherding involved, the work that it required. He was fully aware of how a shepherd cared for his sheep. And so this, this metaphor was especially sweet for David, having been a shepherd. And because shepherding was such a common profession and sheep were such an important part of Israel's culture, Even those in in biblical times who weren't shepherds would have been very familiar with the relationship between shepherds and their sheep. Though there are many advantages to being a Christian in the 21st century in America, 
I think of all the, the rich resources that are available to us when it comes to studying God's word. I'm amazed. I'm still a book guy. I, I like to hold the book. I like to turn the page. But I am amazed, and I, I've, I've kind of gone you know, in as well on the whole Kindle ebook deal, because, because here's what amazes me. For $1 when it's on sale, I can buy a book that is otherwise $25 or $30, that is rich with commentary and truths and, and the mining of gospel realities. That's, that's just amazing. So, so I still buy the book, and I get the, the ebook or, or the Kindle version, and it's just amazing to me how we have all of these resources at the tip of our fingers for $5, we, we can buy what, what saints before us have died for. It's, it's amazing to me. And yet, with this advantage and all the other advantages that come with being 21st century Christians in America, when it comes to reading and understanding the Bible, there, there can be some disadvantages as well. For example, the vast majority of us in this sanctuary are not very familiar with the work of shepherds and their relationship with their sheep. For this reason, the richness of what Psalm 23 teaches us about the relationship that God has with us being like that of a, a shepherd to his sheep can easily be missed. We, we can just kind of hang out in the surface of this bi biblical metaphor. After all, the only type of shepherds many of us know, and this includes me, are the ones that have played the role of a shepherd in a Christmas play. And, and, and the, the, the most familiar that we get with sheep are the ones that we see maybe once a year when we go to the state fair and we see them in their pens and, and, and then we just kind of walk by them, we hear their noises, and then we make our way to somewhere else. We get the, the porkalicious sandwich and we kind of just spend our day walking around eating really odd foods. And that's kind of our experience of, of shepherd and, and sheep. Well, thankfully, in Psalm 23, David doesn't just tell us that the Lord is our shepherd. We, we, and we find that throughout other passages, that the Lord is our shepherd. He also, in this, this psalm, gives us four ways that the Lord shepherds his people. But before we look at them, I want to make two observations and one clarification. The first observation is that David begins the psalm with God's covenant name. The word Lord here is the Hebrew word Yahweh or Jehovah. This is the personal name that God revealed to Moses when he spoke to him through the burning bush. God told Moses in Exodus 3 that his name means, I am who I am. This is the, the one who is speaking to Moses, is the one who is. And this name sets forth God's supremacy and his self-existence. This is especially important because shepherds are, are something very ordinary. In biblical times, shepherding was, was viewed as lowly and dirty work. But the God of the Bible is extraordinary. He is royalty. He is holy. He is the Lord, the living God who was and who is and who will always be. He's the God who never changes. He's never in need of anything from us. The God who created the heavens and the earth. He's the one who made everything and everyone, including the shepherd and the sheep. It is this great and glorious God, the Lord Yahweh, whom David calls my shepherd. And that's important, that, that, that even as, as David moves into this biblical metaphor, he starts with reverence and awe. Yahweh, I'm talking about God here. I'm not just talking about a shepherd. I want to start with this, this personal covenant name that the Lord has revealed to his people. Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord is my shepherd, David says. I also want you to notice that David doesn't say that the Lord is my homie or my best friend forever, who just wants to hang out with me. He doesn't say that the Lord is my genie who gives me whatever I wish for. 
He doesn't say that the Lord is my coach who, who loves to improve my game. He doesn't say the Lord is my cheerleader who roots for me. And he, he doesn't say that the Lord is my yes man who affirms everything I do and say and think. See, David didn't come up with the idea of the Lord being his shepherd. It is divine revelation given to us through David by the Holy Spirit. This metaphor of a shepherd and his sheep is from God. The Lord has revealed to us that he is the shepherd of his people. I don't have the time to do this, but if you, if you look through scripture, it, it's, it's, it's there very early on, this, this biblical metaphor. There's Abel and the sacrifice that he offers and, and the, how it's acceptable before God. And, and then all these different themes of shepherding and sheep. And then, and then we, we move towards the end of, of scripture and we see the great shepherd of our souls, Jesus Christ. And, and so shepherding and sheep, is, it's not just this kind of thing that David came up with. Oh, I was a shepherd and, 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 and God is kind of like a shepherd. So let me just kind of put this, this in the scripture. No, no, this is from God. And this is a repeated theme throughout scripture. And yet it's far too common for people to define or try to redefine their relationship with God according to their, to their preferences, to their feelings or the culture, even the Christian culture that surrounds us instead of according to scripture. Now to do this is like, well, a sheep telling its shepherd that it's no longer a sheep. I want you to imagine this. Now, you children in the sanctuary this morning can, can probably imagine it even far better than, than us adults. And here's what I want you to do, children. and Adults, if you want to join in on this, you can too. I want you to grab some of that scratch paper that's behind the seats, and I want you to try to draw a picture of what I describe in this scenario. And, and I want to see it. And so when the offering is collected, I want you to put it in the offering. And I will get a big stack. And I've already been told I've gotten, gotten some of these, these pictures in the offering. And I'm going to be looking at them. It's going to be a great way to, to start my week next week. So I want you to draw, children, what, what I'm describing here. It's going to be hard. You don't have to get every little detail. Some of you might have to just go to the stick men or the stick shepherd and, and put that in there. But just, just, just adults, you, you want to join in, go ahead. But, but children, imagine this. Draw it. A sheep stands up, walks over to its shepherd, taps him on the shoulder, clears his throat, bah, bah, gets all those out, looks his shepherd in the eye and tells him that from now on, the shepherd and the sheep would be equals. There would be no more eating grass or sleeping outside. He would be moving into the shepherd's house. He would be eating his food and sleeping in his bed. The sheep had decided the shepherd would be his best friend forever, his BFF, his coach, his personal genie, but he would no longer be his shepherd. Then to be polite, he encourages the shepherd to get some earplugs and a nose plug because it's about to get loud and smelly in the shepherd's house. Now, it's silly to imagine such a scenario. Many adults probably just instantly did just cut it up. You know, all right, well, this is a little ploy here to, to do something funny for the kid. It's not. I, I want you to picture it because it's ridiculous and the same goes for people who try to, to, to redefine the nature of their relationship with God according to their preferences, their feelings, or popular culture. Actually, it's more than silly. It's more than ridiculous. It's blasphemous. It's to make oneself God. If you're a Christian, the Lord is not your BFF. He's not your homie. He's not your genie or your coach or your cheerleader or your yes man. The Lord is your shepherd. And if you know what this means, your heart 
will rejoice and be glad that the God of the universe has decided to be your shepherd. You will not ask for him to be your genie or your BFF or your homie. Even if you see a celebrity wearing a shirt that says, Jesus is my homie, you don't want that. You want him to be your shepherd. The second observation, and this flows naturally out of the first, is that according to Psalm 23, we are the Lord's sheep. If the Lord is my shepherd, then I am his sheep. It's no accident that God compares us to sheep. The, the Lord didn't randomly decide that, that he would compare his people to sheep. It's not as though he's kind of considering all the animals. A giraffe, nah, I won't go with that one. You know, uh, an elephant, now, nah, some might get offended. I won't go with the elephant. We'll go with sheep. That sounds like a good idea. No, he, he, he purposely chose this animal. Why? Because certain animals are known for certain things. Dogs are known as being faithful and protective and loyal. Cats are known for, well, I'll just keep those opinions to myself because I'm not a cat person at all. And I know some of you are, and I will offend you with the gospel, but I have no desire to offend you with my opinions about cats. So we'll move on to another animal. Lions, lions are known for being ferocious, strong, and for their roar. Sheep, you know what sheep are known for? for being weak and vulnerable, needy, prone to wander. And to put it nicely, sheep are known for being intellectually challenged. To put it bluntly, sheep are known for being dumb. And, and this is the animal that the sovereign, all-wise God of the universe has chosen to compare us to, sheep. Now, in the day that we live in, I'm sure that some, maybe even some in this room, are offended by this comparison. How dare God call me his sheep? But that's what God says his people are like, sheep. And if we honestly look at our own lives, our own hearts, our own history of, of walking with the Lord, we will agree that, that like sheep, we are weak, we are vulnerable, we are needy, we are prone to wander, and certainly in comparison to God, we are intellectually challenged. Now, the problem is that our sin causes us to think that we are more like lions than sheep when the reality is we are like sheep. But even here, we can find comfort because despite our struggles, our deficiencies, our weaknesses, our wandering, our sin, our sheepishness, well, we belong to the Lord. We, we're not just sheep. We are the Lord's sheep, and that's awesome. You want to be the Lord's sheep. You want this description to be true of you. This brings me to the clarification. Now, one of the reasons that many non-Christians like this psalm, and, and I'll include false Christians, those who say they're Christians, but, but by their life and by their beliefs, when you break down, what do you believe about God? What do you believe about salvation? What do you believe about Jesus? When you, when you get into to more than just, hey, I'm a Christian, I prayed a prayer at camp one time. When you dig deeper, it becomes clear that they're not Christians. Well, those who are false Christians and non-Christians, one of the reasons why they, they love this psalm is because they like the idea of the Lord being their shepherd, but what they don't like is the idea of Jesus Christ being their Lord. When hearing this psalm, their unbelief causes them to separate the Lord as shepherd from the Lord as the Lord. It's built into the, to the metaphor, but they're able to separate them, and that's why they, they're drawn to this psalm. But in Psalm 23, David is not making a blanket statement about the nature of God's relationship with all people. 
This is not some universal pronouncement that the Lord is everyone's shepherd. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. He's not talking really about anybody else in this moment. Now, it's true of all of God's people. Israel would have sang this song together in, in worship. They would use it in family worship. And, and yet, David's focus here is, is, is on his relationship with the Lord, which reveals our relationship with the Lord. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Not everyone can say that. Only the Lord's sheep can call the Lord their shepherd. Now, how does someone become the Lord's sheep? How can someone say with David, the Lord is my shepherd? Well, we find the answer in what Jesus says in John 10. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. How do you enter through Jesus? Well, through repentance and faith. The only way to become the Lord's sheep is is to turn away, to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as the one who died to pay the price, to, to bear the wrath for your sins. We must believe that Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life for us, his sheep. That he is God the Son, the one who took on human flesh, who lived a sinless life and died as a sin-atoning sacrifice so that sinners like you and I could be forgiven of our sins and reconciled to God. To use the language of John 10 and Psalm 23 so that we would become God's sheep. Friend, if you have not truly repented of your sins and, and you're not trusting in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, then as much as you might find Psalm 23 as a beautiful poem, as much as you might think it's wonderful, well, this psalm is not about you. At least not yet. I hope one day it will be true of you, but, but not today. Because you're not one of the Lord's sheep. Until you turn from your sin and trust in Jesus, the Lord is not your shepherd. You're not one of his sheep. But if you have repented and you are trusting in Jesus Christ, then you have heard the voice of the good shepherd. And no matter what you're feeling like today, no matter how you would describe your relationship with God, you are his sheep. And so everything that we see in the, in the psalm uh, that describes the way that the Lord shepherds us, it's true of you. The Lord is doing these things for you and in your life. And, and David gives us four ways that the Lord is shepherding you and I. First, just as a shepherd provides for his sheep, the Lord provides for his people. We see this in verse 2 where David writes, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Sheep need two things to survive. I mean, there's other things that are important too, but, but these two basic needs, they have food and water. They need rest and refreshment, and and so do we, and and God provides these things to his sheep. This is why in verse 1, David can say, because the Lord is his shepherd, he shall not want. What he means by this is that he's he's not lacking. He doesn't need anything. There's nothing that he needs that the Lord doesn't give to him or provide for him. God promises to provide for our physical and our spiritual needs. In the Old Testament, we see how the Lord provided manna and quail and water to the Israelites miraculously. Yeah, from a rock, 
that was struck. Water came out and and kept the Israelites hydrated. Uh, From heaven, manna came down, this bread-like substance with the the lingering taste of honey that that kept the Israelites fed. And, and, And then quail all of a sudden appeared and they were able to have meat all so that they didn't die in the wilderness as they made their way into the promised land. We see how how the Lord made a covenant with Israel. These these wandering people, not just physically, but spiritually, who are, are, even as he's bringing them out of slavery, all of of a sudden creating an idol to to worship the Lord through. These people, God made a covenant with them, and he gave them his word. He revealed who he was, gave them his name, provided them with leaders, kings and prophets and priests. Why did he do these things? To feed their souls his truth. And as we turn our attention to ourselves this morning, we remember that we are only alive today because the Lord, our shepherd, has given us food to eat and water to drink. You can say, hey, I worked hard for that paycheck and I used that paycheck to buy food. So how can you tell me that the Lord is the one who provided that food, that water for me and for my family? I'll tell you how. He gave you breath. He provided that job for you. He is the one who sustained you so that you didn't collapse with your prideful self when you were working to make money. He kept you alive. He is the one ultimately responsible for your existence and your sustenance. And not only that, our our shepherd has fed our souls. He's quenched our soul's thirst and, and he has given us rest. How has he done this? All in Jesus Christ. We're reminded of this in John 6, 35, where Jesus said, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And in Matthew eleven twenty eight, where Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In Christ, we are spiritually fed. We are given the water that quenches our spiritual thirst, and we find rest. These are all things that sheep need. Food, water, rest. And in Christ, God has provided them for his people. Sometimes, now we, we do think that we need something. You know, whether it's a, a spouse, a house, a blouse, or a grouse. And I threw grouse in at the end because I didn't want to end with blouse. I didn't think that would work, but, but I think it works. You know, we, we want a spouse. We want a relationship. We think we need a certain relationship. And, and, and relationships are good, especially ones that are centered on Christ. And, and sometimes we think we need a house or things. You know, maybe we have an apartment and, and we don't think we can actually be happy and we have to have a house. Or we have a small house that feels like it's bursting at the seams with children. And so we want a bigger house and, 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 and we can't be happy. And, and content until we have that house. Or we want a blouse, we want clothing, or a grouse. There's hobbies and there's things that we feel like we need to have in order to survive, but we don't. Psalm 84, 11 puts it well. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. Yes, there are things that we would like to have. Would be Wonderful to have, good things that, that we want to have. There are experiences that we hope to have. I hope to live long enough to see my boys walk with the Lord as mature Christians, marry godly women, have children, and be a grandfather. I would love for that to happen. I, I want that to happen. For those of you who experienced that, you are blessed. Not everybody's going to have children or see them become Christians or watch them get married and have children. These things are wonderful blessings when we receive them rightly, and yet we don't have to have them. They're desires that that will go unfulfilled, but when it comes to what we need, God, our shepherd, provides it for us. 
when all is said and done and we are in glory, we will not ask God why he didn't give us this or that, why he didn't let us live long enough to see this on earth or why Jesus came back then and, uh, and not this other time. What we will do is see even more clearly how he provided everything we needed. We will see things rightly and we will say with all of our hearts that the Lord is my shepherd. I do not want because I am totally satisfied in Christ. In verse 3, we find the second way that the Lord is our shepherd. Just as a shepherd restores his sheep, the Lord restores his people. Certainly the Lord restores us when he first saves us, when, he, when we become sheep, when he justifies us by his grace through faith in Christ, when he declares us righteous. We are restored in that way by God. But in the context of shepherding and this metaphor, this restoring likely speaks of how the Lord continues to, re to rescue and restore us, his people. Now, this might be best understood if we consider how sheep become cast or cast down, how they, they can experience this thing called cast down and be, uh, become a cast down sheep. In his book, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm, Philip Keller, who was a Christian and, and lived as a shepherd for eight years in South Africa, he, he draws from his own experiences as a shepherd, and he, he writes this in his book. A cast sheep or a cast down sheep is an old English shepherd's term for a sheep that is turned over on its back and cannot get up again by itself. A cast sheep is a very pathetic sight. The way it happens is this. A heavy, fat, or long fleece sheep will lie down comfortably in some little hollow or depression in the ground. It may roll on its side slightly to stretch out or relax. Suddenly, the center of gravity in the body shifts so that it turns on its back far enough that the feet no longer touch the ground. It may feel a sense of panic and start to paw frantically. Frequently, this only makes things worse. It rolls over even further. Now it's quite impossible for it to regain its feet. As it lies there struggling, gases begin to build up in the rumen. As these expand, they tend to cut off blood circulation to extremities of the body, especially the legs. If the weather is very hot and sunny, a cast sheep can die in a few hours. If it is cool and cloudy and rainy, it may survive in this position for several days. Keller then states that, that if the shepherd does not arrive on the scene before it's too late and turn the sheep over, the sheep will certainly die. Christian, just like a cast-down sheep, we Christians can sometimes find ourselves in a very difficult or dangerous situation, helpless and in need of restoration, in need of rescue. Sometimes it's because we have given in to temptation and we are caught in the snare of sin and we need the Lord to restore our soul. Other times it's because we have wandered from Christ. We have gone to the things of this world for our hope and our peace and our comfort and our joy when we should be looking to and, and, and finding them in Christ. Still other times our soul is in need of restoring because of the sorrow that we experience in this world, the, the heartache that comes with loss as we live the Christian life. You know, a, a family member that we, we, we love and we're burdened for, maybe they're not a Christian, they die, and, and, and many of us have experienced this, and, and then we're, 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 we're finding ourselves in this season of melancholy, of depression, and it gets deeper and darker we lose a, a brother a Christian, a, a brother Christian, a sister that is in Christ, and, and we, we miss them, and, and we, we go through other losses. We don't experience what we hope to experience. Well, Christian, the Lord will always find you. 
He will come to you like a shepherd finds his sheep and goes to his sheep and he will pick you up and he will restore your soul. That's the richness. That's the tenderness. That's the importance of this shepherding imagery. That's why we don't want God to be our homie or a BFF. We need him to be our shepherd because we need him to continually restore our soul. This brings us to a third way that the Lord shepherds his people. We read in the second half of verse 3, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Like a shepherd, the the Lord leads his people. One of the characteristics of sheep is that they need to be led. They have to be led. They, They won't survive for long if they go off on their own. You know what they are you know, to, to, to predators? They're like a big stake on sticks just running through the woods or running through the wild. Uh, you don't find sheep just kind of thriving on their own because predators, they're easy pickings for predators. They need to be led. They need a shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd. Some professing Christians don't seem to want to be led by a shepherd. As I mentioned earlier, they want God to be their friend, their yes man, their genie, but the Lord does not leave it to us to try to find our own way because we can't. We need him to lead us and he leads us in paths of righteousness. You know what? I would wander and I still do struggle to stay on the path of righteousness. You know what keeps me and brings me back on the path of righteousness? Not me. I'm not the one that's like, you know what? I'm off here and struggling with sin. You know what? I'm just going to get back on the path of righteousness. No, no, you know who brings us back? The Lord. He is our shepherd who brings us back. He, he finds us cast and, and, and he turns us back up and, and then he leads us on paths of righteousness. We will wander from them. We need him to lead us. And how does the Lord lead us? Now, he, he leads us in various ways and, and I'll talk about some of them in a bit. But, but the main way, the, the, the main way that the Lord leads us is with his word. As we read the Bible, we study the Bible, we meditate on the scriptures, and we hear the Bible preached. God leads us. We hear God's voice through his word. And this is why it should grieve us, and it grieves me, not just as a pastor, but as a Christian, when Christians who are struggling, whether it be with temptation, or they have given into sin, or they're, they're really, you know, they're, they're caught up in depression. I know it can be hard, especially when you're, when you're caught up in depression, to open your Bible. But what you need, brother, what you need, sister, is you need to be led. You need, you need to be rescued. You need to hear your shepherd's voice. You need to open the Bible. You need to be downloading sermons. And if you don't know who good preachers are, I will give you a list of, of good preachers that you can download their sermons. Start with Martin Lloyd-Jones, and you'll love his accent. And he will point you over and over and over again to the good shepherd. You need the Bible. You need to hear your shepherd's voice. You don't draw away from him when you're struggling. You draw near to him. We see this in so many other passages as well. We need to draw near to him. The other way that the Lord shepherds us, the the other way that he leads his people in this way, serving as like a shepherd, is through other people. We call call in in the church uh, one of the offices we often refer to as a pastor in the church. But, But that's just one aspect of the work of an elder. So the office is elder, overseer, bishop. And one of the the most important tasks of this office in the church is that of shepherding or pastoring. That's what the word pastor means, shepherd to shepherd. 
And so the Lord uses people, oftentimes pastors, to shepherd his people. They, they are under shepherds in Christ's church. And, and he'll use other people, other leaders, other brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and so you need God's word and you need people to give you God's word so you hear the shepherd's voice. So don't draw away from, don't, don't just kind of go your own way. You are a sheep. You need a shepherd. You need to be led. You need God's word. You need his people. The fourth way that the Lord shepherds us is found in verse 4. David writes, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Like a shepherd, the Lord protects his people. In his commentary on this verse, Charles Spurgeon points out that the Lord's sheep walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Emphasis on the word through, meaning they will make it through the valley to the other side. They make it through. What a glorious truth for us to always have before us and to remember this morning, especially those who are struggling with loss, especially those who are struggling with the loss of a, of a, a Christian brother or sister, a family member who's died in the Lord. They will make it through. You will make it through. See, unless Jesus returns first, every one of us will die. But the Christian does not have to fear death because every single Christian, every single Christian will make it through to the other side to eternal life. Every single one. We, we, we think of other parables and, and depictions of, of this truth that, that verify this for us. We are the Lord's sheep. He will not lose a single one. He finds the lost sheep and he brings them back to the fold. Not a single one will be snatched from his grip. You know why? Because Jesus didn't just die for this random group of people. He died for his sheep to purchase them. They belong to him. We belong to Jesus. We are his sheep and he will not lose a single one. None will be lost. They will all make it into eternal life. Through the cross and by Christ's resurrection, God has removed the sting of death. Death for the Christian is only, and I love this description, a shadow. It's a shadow. It's not the reality. The Lord protects his people. Spurgeon then writes, Death stands by the side of the highway in which we have to travel, and the light of heaven shining upon him throws a shadow across our path. You see that picture? There's death, and the light is behind death, and there's a shadow that's before us where we have to walk past. Let us then rejoice that there is light beyond. A shadow cannot stop a man's pathway even for a moment. Let us not, therefore, be afraid. David also mentions the comfort that the rod and the staff bring to him. Well, the rod is a shepherd's weapon. With it, he fights off predators and he defends his sheep. The staff is a symbol of the shepherd's authority. He uses it to take hold of the neck of his wayward and, and fearful sheep. They, maybe they're stuck. They won't move forward. There's a predator nearby. He takes his shepherd's staff and he can bring it around the neck of the sheep and, and bring that sheep, even as it doesn't want to follow, he will bring that sheep with him into safety. And just as the shepherd's rod and staff provide sheep with comfort, we Christians need to find comfort knowing that God is all-powerful and God is all-authoritative. And this is why we should not run from his rebuke. This is why his warnings and his reminders are sweet and precious and acts of his grace. We need to be told when we're in danger. There's a demon over there. There's an attacker over there. There's evil over there. Don't go that way. And yet again in, in today, and this is true of humanity, this is our sinful nature that, that creeps up again, we don't like to be told these things. I'm fine. 
You know, again, it's, it's if we're forgetting that we're sheep and, we're li- and we think we're lions. I, I can handle this. Don't, don't worry about me, friend. Oh, oh, I know that some give in to that temptation. I'll be just fine. No. No, you won't. You need to be reminded of who God is and who you are. He is your shepherd and you are to follow him. He leads you. He will protect you. And he will use his rod and his staff. And they should comfort you. No one can steal or destroy us, not even the devil. And even when we face our biggest trials, even death, he will bring us through them, even death, because God is our defender and our protector. He uses his rod and his staff, and that should comfort you. I mean, just picture a shepherd. This is a terrible shepherd. He's watching his sheep. They're on a cliff, and and they start to kind of get near the cliff. They're in danger. And rather than go to the sheep and and, and rescue them, he just kind of watches and sees what happened. There goes Elmer off the edge of the cliff. Oh, Wilbur's following after him all of a sudden. Oh, they all think, oh, they're all checking out. They're getting closer and closer. The the cliff starts to give way, and, and there goes the whole flock. It's a terrible shepherd. That's, you guys will figure it out. Oh, well, it serves you, it serves you right, you, you stupid sheep. That's not what the Lord does. He, he runs after us. He might even just use that rod and, and hit a stick as he's coming. No, don't go that way. And the word does that. Don't go that way, Christian. That's dangerous. That's going to hurt your soul. That's going to lead you away from Christ. That'll cause you to wander away from the goodness and the glory and the treasure that is Jesus. And so he uses his word like a rod to wake us up, to protect us from danger. And he uses his word like a staff to, to lead us and to direct us closer to himself and into safety. This is your shepherd. This is your God, church. And this brings us to the last two verses. Now, something very interesting happens in verses 5 and 6. If you've ever heard a sermon on Psalm 23, maybe you've been made aware of this already, but I think even just reading through it, you're kind of like, wait a second. Like, I thought we are talking about shepherds and sheep, and all of a sudden now there's, there's some, some other things going on here. And, and it seems as though David might just be changing metaphors in these verses. Let's read them again. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, some commentators believe that that there's no change in metaphors here, that these verses fit just fine with with the shepherd metaphor from verses 1 through 4. The table then speaks of a a safe raised pasture that the, the shepherd brings his sheep to where they can feast in the sight of, but out of the reach of, the predators who seek to devour them. You know, you've seen these, these tables, and I remember in, in, uh, in geography class and, and in elementary school having to learn all the different land structures. And there's these, these tables in, in some places where, where you have to know just how to get up there. And if you're up there, nothing can reach you. And so that's what, what David is referring to here then. The oil would refer to a shepherd caring for his sheep because oil was often used as, as something like a lotion for humans and, and animals to, to care for the skin and, and to care for the fleece. The overflowing cup would then describe how the shepherd provides his sheep with, with more than what they need. Verse 6 describes the, the fully satisfied sheep who responds to their shepherd with, with this reality, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Spurgeon refers to these as as our our guardians as Christians, God's goodness and mercy, which follow us everywhere we go. And and how the the sheep is recognizing that they live a blessed life and and they have no desire for any other shepherd. 
This would make these verses something like an exclamation mark on the type of care that the Lord provides to his people and and the response our hearts should have in light of the Lord being our shepherd. We should be totally satisfied with our shepherd. We should not be looking for any other God to worship. No one else can do what our shepherd does. Because we're reminded in these verses that even when we're surrounded by those who seek to harm us, we're safe, we're blessed, we're cared for. We have all that we need. God provides it for us. There's another view, and and it's that these verses, in these verses, David shifts the focus from the Lord being his shepherd to the Lord being his host. Because the language is that of a host showing his honored guest great hospitality. This would mean that in, in the closing verses, David points us to another aspect of our personal relationship with the Lord. I think it's both. I'm going to take the easy way out here. I'm not going to pick one or the other. I'm going to say I think it's both. That based on verses 1 through 4, David hasn't entirely moved on from the Lord as his shepherd, but that in verses 5 and 6, David is getting at something more. He's pointing us to something more about our relationship with the Lord. But I don't think... So I'm stepping out on a limb here a little bit. I don't think that it's merely that the Lord is a great host and that we are his honored guests. I think that verses 5 and 6 point us to another aspect of our relationship with the Lord, to the most amazing truth about the type of personal relationship that God has with his people. See, the Lord is not just our shepherd. He is our father. And we are not just his sheep. We are his Adopted children. Now, this, this could be a stretch, but, but I think it makes sense. My reason for coming to this conclusion is verse 6. Sheep won't dwell in the house of the Lord forever, and guests won't either. Who will dwell in the house of the Lord forever? God's people will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God's adopted children will. This doctrine of adoption is summarized well for us in the 1689 Baptist Confession of faith. And, and I'm all about reclaiming these, these old creeds and confessions because if you have the Holy Spirit and you love truth and you love to learn more about who God is, well, they summarize so well what the church has believed in, in, in all the, the different generations. And, and this is one of those rich tre- treasures. And, and I think it puts it so well. Listen, I, I hope it stirs your heart like it does mine. God has granted that all those who are justified would receive the grace of adoption in and for the sake of his only son, Jesus Christ. By this, they are counted among the children of God and enjoy the freedom and privileges of that relationship. They inherit his name, receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness, and are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. They are given compassion, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as a father. And there's some parallel there to to a shepherd and his sheep. Compassion, protected, provided for, and chastened or chastened by him as a father. Yet they are never cast off, never left cast down, never cast off, but are sealed for the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. That is glorious truth. Christian, in Christ you have been adopted by God. We Christians are God's sons and daughters. And this glorious gospel reality is the the sweetest, most precious, heart-stirring aspect of our relationship with God. He's, He's our father, and we are his adopted sons and daughters. Church, there is so much comfort for us in Psalm 23. 
not because of all the beautiful imagery, not because this psalm promises us a a pain-free, comfortable, easy, long, risk-free, happy life. It doesn't promise us any of those things. In fact, I think it it really promises the the other side of things. It's going to be hard. We're going to face evil. We're going to face trouble. Now, Psalm 23 is comforting to us Christians because it reveals the nature of our relationship with God and God's relationship with us. God is our shepherd. He provides, he restores, he leads, and he protects us because we are his sheep. And not only that, we should find comfort from this psalm because I think it ends up pointing or at least alluding to the glorious truth that not only is the Lord our shepherd, God is our father. And not only are we his sheep, we are his children. And I hope this ministers to your soul this morning, wherever you might be with the Lord. It is sweet and glorious, comforting truth. Let's pray. Oh, great God, as we consider this psalm, as I, as I ponder the, the, the biblical metaphor that, that you have chosen to use of the shepherd with his sheep, I, I'm led to this conclusion. Ultimately, this relationship exists. You made it happen so that we, your people, could better understand what it means to be in relationship with you, our God. You have condescended in the most beautiful and wonderful way so that we can better understand that you are the one who provides and protects and leads and directs your people. We, your people. And it's so sweet to consider this metaphor and, and the promises that are, that are in it. And, and I pray, Father, that the Christian this morning would, would really enjoy what this means, that you are their shepherd and they are your sheep. I pray, Father, that you would use this to, to bring back wayward sheep, that those who might be in this sanctuary who, who have either physically wandered from Christ or, or spiritually, they're, they're here, but they're not here, that, that you would warm their heart with these truths and bring them back with your staff, your word, your promises, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I also pray, Lord, that, that those who are not yet your sheep, who are hearing these, these truths from Psalm 23, would be amazed that you, the God of the universe, the God that they have rebelled against, the God that they have rejected for however long that they have lived, the God who, who they, are, they are at enmity with, the God whose wrath is upon them, would make a way for them to enter into his pasture. And that way is through the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for the sheep, that these truths would warm their heart, that you would use them by the power of your spirit to bring them out of death and into life so they would join with us, your sheep, in worshiping the shepherd of our souls. We pray, Father, that you would do all of these things and more for your glory and our good, because we are your sheep and you are our shepherd. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.